Our scripture reading this afternoon comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 11, and we'll read from verses 14 through 23. Luke chapter 11 from verse 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. And he, that was Jesus, was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, Knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. For he he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This far the reading of God's holy word, and in connection with this passage, we'll also consider the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 48, which is on page 85 in the back of your Psalter. Lord's Day 48, in question 123, it asks us, what is the second petition of the Lord's Prayer? And the answer is, thy kingdom come. That is, rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. Preserve and increase thy church. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee. And also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place wherein thou shalt be all and in all. Dear congregation, our focus this afternoon will be on the chapter that we read in Luke 11 and the verses 14 through 23. We have been considering the Lord's Prayer and working through that. We've also been uh, considering uh, the, the Gospel of Luke as we work through these chapters. And they, they coincide in, in many ways with the teaching of the Lord's Prayer as we also follow the catechism. And Jesus says, when we pray, we're to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come. We come with a desire to the Lord for to glorify Him and to to know Him and for His kingdom to, to spread over all the earth. And so when we come to Him in prayer, we need to also consider what is our focus? What, what is truly our priority when we come to Him? 
Are we focused on what God should do for us? Or on what God's glory and honor require? This second petition, Jesus teaches us to say, Thy kingdom come. And this account that Luke gives us, that we read, shows shows us how His kingdom is coming. How His kingdom is coming into this world. And as we work through the chapters here of Luke, it, it seems like he switches topics almost. We, we saw how he told us about the, the Good Samaritan, of what, we are, what it's like to love your neighbor. To, he says, who is your neighbor? And then we saw of Martha and Mary how we are taught how to sit at the feet of Jesus, to read his word, to hear his word, to learn of him. And then he really focuses on prayer in the first part of chapter 11. He teaches us the Lord's Prayer, and he shows how we are to approach God in prayer with that confidence, with, with that persistence. And now suddenly we read about the Lord Jesus casting out demons, and in, in a way it seems disconnected. And yet, on the other hand, it's exactly what Jesus has been teaching us to pray for. It addresses what, what he has been showing and so we would like to consider that this afternoon under the theme of praying for God's kingdom. And I have five thoughts. And the first is the demonstration of God's kingdom. And Jesus here, he, is, he demonstrates what the kingdom of God has come to do. And in verse 14 it says, Jesus was casting out a demon and it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gotten out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. And isn't that exactly the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world is to defeat Satan, to conquer him and to cast him out. And here stood a crowd that was amazed by what he could do and what they had seen and they wondered, who is this Lord Jesus? Who is this Jesus who casts out demons? But it's by this miracle, the Lord Jesus, he's demonstrating that power of the kingdom of God. The power of God over the kingdom of darkness. And if you read in Revelation, you see how initially Satan was cast out of heaven with all his fallen angels, how they were cast out. And then there's a period of time he's roving this world and he's persecuting the church. But then in Revelation 20, Satan is cast out of the earth as well and cast into the lake is burning with fire. And so it demonstrates what the kingdom of God has come to do. That is to drive out all evil and the evil one. But then secondly, the misunderstanding of God's kingdom. The misunderstanding. Most of the crowd here stood amazed, but in verse 15... It says, some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And Beelzebub, it says there, it means the ruler of demons, a prince of demons, which is Satan. And Matthew even clarifies and says that it was the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers of the Jews who, who said this, who accused Jesus of using satanic powers to cast Satan out of this man. And so they misunderstood what Jesus did because they think it's a satanic power that's being used here. And so they accuse Jesus of being under the power of Satan. Satan is 
Jesus' arch-rival. He is the one who deceived Adam and Eve in paradise. He is the angel who is thrown out of heaven because he rebelled against God. Genesis 3.15 says that Christ would be sent to crush Satan's head. And he is a liar from the beginning and the father of lies, John 8 says. So here is Jesus, the Son of God, who has been sent into the world to suffer and to die and to deliver sinners from the power of sin and of Satan. And they're accusing him of being under the dominion of Satan. What an insult. The very people that he came to save, his own people, accuse him of being under the influence and power of Satan. But isn't this also a warning for us? Satan is such a deceiver that he turns everything upside down. That he makes the people think that the Lord Jesus Christ was controlled or using or using, given power by Beelzebub to throw out the devils. He, Satan calls evil good and good evil. He calls abortion health care. He calls marriage slavery. He calls Christian parenting child abuse. He calls the gift of purity and, and the male and female gender. He calls that, that bondage. He deceives and distorts everything that God has made in this world. And how careful we need to be. Because here were scribes and Pharisees who knew the Bible, who were given the Word of God, but they did not know the God of the Scriptures. And we are born naturally blind. Because Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How quick we are to believe the deceptions and lies of Satan in this world. And by nature, everyone is born under that dominion and kingdom of darkness and of Satan and his deceit. And our biggest problem is that we do not recognize, we do not see it until God opens our eyes with his spirit and his word. And so they misunderstand because they do not recognize that it's from heaven. They do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so in verse 16, others here were testing him. They sought from him a sign from heaven, it says. They wanted to see something to prove that, he was, that his power came from heaven. Maybe they were thinking of Elijah who called down fire from heaven to either burn up the altar where they were having a standoff between the priests of Baal and Elijah. They wanted a miracle that would remove all doubts and any skepticism. But unbelief never wants to believe the Word of God. Unbelief always wants as something of their own approval. The Scriptures foretold that Jesus would come, but they did not want to see that. They want proof on their own terms. But here Jesus is showing greater evidence that God's kingdom is truly here. And that's our third thought, the evidence of God's kingdom. What is the evidence? Here they were testing the Lord Jesus they wanted to see a special sign that was from God and not from Satan. And yet how careful we also need to be. There's many times we have our mind made up, this is the way, and someone needs to prove me wrong, otherwise I will keep going. They need to prove to me that God wants me to do that or this, 
rather than carefully searching out God's Word. You say, why can't you do that? Prove it to me from God's Word. But Jesus responds here by giving an illustration. What's he? And here already Jesus is showing that He is God because in verse 17 He says, but He knowing their thoughts. He is the Word of God. He is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts and He knows our thoughts and He knows the thoughts of those Pharisees. And first He says to them in verse 17, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself... How will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. So he's using this simple illustration. There's no house, there's no family that can function properly without unity. If a family is divided against each other, it will fall. If a husband and wife are divided against each other, it will end up in divorce. It cannot stand. The same is true for a kingdom or any nation. No kingdom can survive if there's continually infighting. And that leads to civil war. And you can't win a battle against an enemy if your own soldiers are continually fighting against each other. And Satan has his kingdom here in the world. He's the prince of darkness. And he's saying, why would he cast out his own soldiers? That would be ridiculous. And so Jesus says he is not casting out demons by the power given to him, but a prince of demons. But then secondly, he also adds in verse 19, he says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. So apparently the son, their sons or the prophets were casting out demons somewhere else as well. So Jesus asked, where did they get their power from? Because if you're accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, then whose power are they using? And he says the reasoning is inconsistent. And here Jesus comes to his point in verse 20. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying the kingdom of God is here. It has come upon you. The evidence is seen in the fact that he has cast out this demon, that he has power over this demon. This demon was holding this man captive. He could not speak. He was mute. But Jesus set this man free from the bondage that he was in. This is the finger of God. The finger of God represents the power of God. This is the finger of God that wrote the law and the tablets and the stone tablets that he gave Moses on the Mount Sinai. And if you remember the story of the Israelites in Egypt, when the Lord brought the ten plagues, at first the magicians could replicate some of these, these plagues. But when the Lord caused the dust of the earth to turn into lice, these magicians could do nothing. And they said, this is the finger of God. This is the power of God. So Jesus is saying this means that the rule, the power of the kingdom of God is here. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this battle is ongoing today between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness that is driving out. That brings us to our fourth thought, the advancing of God's kingdom. How does God's kingdom advance? And there's great encouragement here for us. Satan is deceitful. Satan is 
powerful. But the coming of God's kingdom means that Christ has conquered Satan and is casting him out. Verse 21 says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. There's evidence in this world that there is a battle because there is enmity, there is division, there is battles. And Jesus here, he pictures Satan as the strong man, fully armed. He's standing there guarding his palace. And as long as he is standing there guarding his palace with all his armor, it says that his, all his possessions are in peace. Everything that he's guarding behind him is, is laying there peacefully. And he's, he has control over it. He's protecting it. He's defending his territory. He's defending and guarding what he has, but it's stolen territory. He obtained it by deceit and guile. He gained control of it when Adam and Eve believed his lie and obeyed him instead of God. It came under the control of Satan. And now he holds the souls of men in his hands. And there's peace, relative peace, until someone comes to fight him. And Jesus is the one who has come. Jesus is the one fighting Satan. It says when the stronger than he comes upon him, and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. And the stronger one came and defeated the strong man. He took away all his weapons and his armors in which he, he had trusted. He's the one who came into this world to, to conquer Satan. He conquered Satan by his word and that began even in the temptations in the wilderness when Satan tempted the Lord Jesus. Remember children how he He turned away Satan, defeated him by quoting Scripture to him, by using his word. And Satan did not sin. Sorry, the Lord Jesus did not sin, even though he was tempted by Satan in every way. He was tempted all his life long, even like you and I are. But when Jesus was crucified, he crushed Satan's head. There he robbed him of all his armor and all his weapons. When Christ died and when he rose again, he disarmed Satan of his strongest weapon, that is death. And Christ took away all the armor of Satan, his lies, and he presented the truth, the word of God. Satan had the people in bondage through fear of death, Hebrews 2 says. But Christ took away that power, and now death has lost its sting, and the grave has lost its victory, and Satan has lost his grip. On the souls of men. And so Jesus is showing how the kingdom of God is advancing. How he's casting demons out because they have no more power to stay. They have no more defense against the Lord Jesus Christ. The prince of demons has been defeated. And Jesus is the stronger one. He robs Satan of all that power. And now Satan is powerless to hold anyone in his hands when Christ comes. When Christ casts out a demon, there is nothing that can hold that soul back. Often it seems like the wicked live in a relative peace or stability in this world. And it's as if Satan never troubles them. He lets them go on 
or even nominal believers can, can live easily in this world while, while so often many faithful Christians really struggle and face a lot of battles and assaults from Satan. There's a prosperity gospel that thrives because the people sit there calmly in relative peace. But when Christ comes, that battle intensifies and he delivers them from the power of Satan, but it also says he divides the spoils. He distributes these possessions when he, when he takes them. The word of God is, is spoken by the people who are saved. They're distributed through this world. They begin to read. They begin to pray. They begin to do as a good Samaritan, loving their neighbors in good works. But that leads us to our last point. And the question is, who are you loyal to today? And who do you submit to? Because the last point is the summon of God's kingdom. In verse 23, he says, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. You cannot belong to both kingdoms. There's no place called no man's land between these two kingdoms where you can be safe from this battle. You cannot remain neutral. No one wants to be in this battle. But we have no choice because we're born into it. And Jesus says if we're not with him, then we're against him. And so which one is it today? Which one is it for you and me today? He's implying here to the Pharisees and scribes that they were opposing Christ. They were opposing his kingdom, which means that they were working under the authority of Beelzebub. They were scattering the people away from Christ. They were making people doubt that he was the Son of God instead of gathering to him, them together to Christ. And in Luke 17, the Lord Jesus said, it's better for you to have a millstone, a large stone used to grinding wheat hung around your neck and you be cast into the sea rather than you hinder one little one from coming to Christ. Never hinder anyone by by giving doubt in their minds that God is real, that Christ is real, that He is the King, that He is the Savior. And so what do, our action, what do our actions show? Are we gathering with Christ and for Christ? Or are we resisting and are we working against Christ with what we think and what we say and what we do, especially in front of other people and the children? This is a summons from God. He says, come into this kingdom. And he says, if you are in this kingdom, then work for this kingdom. Gather for Christ. Now you may be wondering, what does this really have to do with this Lord's Prayer that we were considering? But what does Paul say in Ephesians 6? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, the darkness of this age, against spirit, this, all spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And he says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. This 
is a battle that you do not win in your own power. This is a battle that you cannot win with any wisdom of yourself or any strength of yourself. But this is a battle that must be won through prayer. It's the finger of God. It's the power of God that alone can cast out Satan. And that is what advances the kingdom of God. Our weapons of prayer. The Lord Jesus even told the disciples in a different place, this kind comes only out by prayer. And and if we again look at the, the Lord's Day, Lord's Day 48, the second petition, Thy kingdom come, it says, that is to rule us by Thy word and spirit, that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. And then he prays for God to preserve and increase thy church, to destroy the works of the devil and all violence which we could exalt, which would exalt itself against thee. That all wicked counsels divide against thy holy word until the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all and in all. So here is a call for us to pray for Christ's kingdom to come first of all in our own hearts, where it says, explains here in the catechism, to rule us by your word and spirit, so that we would submit to God the King more and more. Because if we're not on Christ's side today, that means by default that you're on Satan's side, that you're living at peace with the world, or at peace with the sin in your hearts, under Satan's control, following his every bidding, following your heart's desire and, and, and entering temptation, then you don't find yourself so much at odds with this world. Maybe you're not living in gross and indecent sins. And you might even be sitting in church today. But your heart is under the bondage of sin and the power of Satan. And your loyalty is to Satan and not to God. If you're not with me, Christ said, you're against me. And Christ summons you to come into his kingdom. And you cannot free yourselves. You cannot deliver yourself from the power of Satan. You have no power over him, but Christ does. He can set you free in a moment as he did this man. And this is why he says, pray, your kingdom come. And he makes us willing to serve him. Because that's a problem, isn't it? We don't want to serve Christ when we are living in our sins. But Christ is the one who makes us willing to serve Him as a good master. Once you learn to know Christ, as we heard this morning, to honor Him, to love Him, then you desire to serve Him as well. Satan keeps you in His service by His lies and by His deceptions. He lures you by His false promises. He makes that evil look good. He makes the, the, the wrong seem so right. And he makes the right seem so wrong. But Christ hides nothing from you. He says, you are in a war. And the end is coming. Why can you not go along with everything in this world? Because it all belongs to the broad road that leads to destruction. It leads you away from Christ. Pray, let your kingdom come. Pray for God to rule in your hearts, to overcome your sinful tendencies by His Word and Spirit. That is why we need to read His Word daily. And that is how His kingdom advances in our life. 
That is how you're made conformable to Him, to do His will, to submit to His will. So we must pray, Your kingdom come. But also, for God's people, because it is not yet fully here. Sin and Satan no longer have dominion over you. But they still plague the heart. They still cause you to stumble into many sins and temptations. They still bring shame and guilt upon you. They still bring division and contention even in the church or family of God. And that grieves us. Doesn't that make us pray, let your kingdom come. Fill your heart with your rule and your spirit. Guide my life by your will and your way. Let your kingdom come fully into my heart and life that I may be fully conformed to your image. I pray also for God's kingdom to come into the church. The church is the Lord's army, the military of the kingdom of heaven. Every kingdom needs an army, doesn't it? There's different gifts that the Lord gives. There's evangelists or missionaries or pastors. There's members, everyone with their own gifting to spread the word of God, to to glorify, to hallow the name of God, to pray for the kingdom. And so as the catechism explained, we are to pray for God to preserve His church and to increase His church. This is the pillar, this is the ground of truth that God has placed into this world. This is the light that shines in the darkness this is, the, this is the center of truth that God has placed in the midst of a world and a kingdom of deceit and lies. And there are so many dangers and attacks against the church. There's divisions and disunity, especially seen in the last couple of years. There's complacency. There's lukewarmness. There's deadness in the church and in our hearts. There's people that leave the church and leave God. And so we must pray for God to preserve His church and to strengthen His church and that that God will advance His church by casting out the evil one instead of allowing His church to be overrun. Didn't He say that I am with you even unto the end of the age? Didn't He say that the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church? That means when it is advancing, Satan cannot stop that advance. Are we praying for that? Are we seeking for that? Even though all the forces of the world would oppose oppose it. Rulers throughout history have tried to crush the church in so many different ways. Persecutions have raged since the time of the apostles. Militants seek to destroy Christians in many different places. Even scripture says the Antichrist will come and set himself up over the church and try to replace Christ. And what power do we have, what power does the church have to, uh, to stop the flood of evil as it comes into our land and into our places? But Christ casts out demons by your word. Therefore pray. Let your kingdom come. Because this is a war that Christ has won when he defeated Satan. But it's a battle that is still ongoing in all of our lives. You must continue to pray. Let your kingdom come. Drive the evil one far from us. Glorify your name. That is what we are to pray. Amen.